What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here, dropping another Data Protection Gumbo episode for you today. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Ken Ringdahl, SVP of Engineering at Datto. And Ken is a technologist and engineering leader who loves data and is passionate about DevOps and building great software products. So Gumbo listeners, Ken discusses the appliance approach to backup versus a software-defined approach, the annual state of the channel ransomware report, and the importance of utilizing different types of storage for backup and archive. So let's get right to it and thank you for listening. Ken, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Demetrius. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here and talk about one of my favorite topics. All right, your, your favorite topic and also my favorite topic as well. And so kind of switching it up a little bit that I have a, a VP of engineering on. I typically have CTOs and CIOs on, but uh, let, let's see if we can get some engineering flavor going here on the gumbo, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so just kind of picking up with, with that topic of, of software engineering, can you just... Maybe give us a little detail around, I guess, some of the engineering practices and how they've evolved and just kind of bring us into the age of data protection and, and, and how do you look at uh, engineering from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Demetrius, if you look at, you know, certainly the evolution and I've you know been in the industry for more than 20 years, I broke in as a software engineer um, and have, you know, moved into a, a leadership role on the engineering side and you know, it's, it's my job to, to really look at, you know, overall productivity and strategy from a, from a software engineering perspective. Obviously, there's lots and lots of talk about Kubernetes and containers and modern application development. And, you know, that's been a, a very impactful change. It's, it has been a, uh, you know, a, a clear movement. If you look at public cloud, there's EKS and, you know, different container services and, and you know, it's, it really is all in the, in the name of, you know, being able to develop and, and write code and, and release software more frequently, um, have more impactful changes. Uh, and, and the whole concept of agile development, uh, that, you know, that is, uh, that's not new, lean, you know, lean development, um, but, but that, those technologies really accelerate that move. And, and they have impacts on, on data protection, if you look at and consider you know, hey, if I have an application that's deployed in a container, well, is that a stateful or is it a stateless container? And where is your data and what, you know, databases are that application connecting to? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's really changed how you look at data protection because if you go back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, what was data protection? It was, hey, I've got a system that I need to protect. That system might be a physical system, might be a virtual system, but it's very system-based data protection. When you look at you know, deploying containers, and especially if these things are ephemeral and, and stateless, you know, where is your data? You have to follow the application to be able to, to, right. to really digest that application to understand, you know, how do I protect this application? That could be in systems that, that don't exist in two hours, but you still need to capture the data. And, and the hardest part becomes recovery. Now, how do you recover that when, when it gets there? So lots and lots of different challenges that it, that it poses and, but, you know, it's all in the name of, of being, uh, you know, efficient and making forward progress. But, you know, those types of changes are revolutionary and, and, and cause, you know, really a whole new approach from a data protection perspective. 
Yeah, and I, I was just having a conversation with, with someone else yesterday. And uh, this person is on the uh, automation, IT automation side and coding and CI/CD pipeline and infrastructure as code. And the conversation that we were having was just around how the codification of everything is really happening right now. And if you are a, a storage administrator or a backup and recovery administrator, if you're in just backups and in any shape, form or fashion today, then you better have your eye on the overall ball in the picture of everything other than how to protect data, if that makes sense. Like, you better know about cloud, right? You better know something about uh, containers. You know exactly, you know, what AWS is doing and rolling out and, you know, how to use Terraform. And you, you really have to have other skills besides what you currently have right now because it's not going to sustain you in the future to just know a little bit about backup and recovery. So what, what do you think about that, that entire conversation around, you know, the codification of, um, of literally everything that, that we're seeing right now uh, in the data center? You know, what's, what's your perspective there? Are you seeing something different or are you, or are you also seeing the same no, thing? Absolutely seeing the same thing. I think you're, you're spot on. And what I would say is, you know, we started to see this, I think, with the evolution of some of the uh, next generation appliance uh, data protection solutions where they're, you know, the, the traditional storage administrator or backup administrator, you know, they're trying to simplify that role. And, and, and really the bar overall is being raised for specialists, you know, and, and, and it's movement from a specialist world to a generalist world. And what I mean by that is, you know, a generalist has very, very broad set of skills. And, and I think it, you, you brought it up, like, you know, and the bar being raised is that, you know, really, you know, if you look at a backup admin or storage admin, they may or may not have, for example, the ability to script, um, you know, good, good ones do. But, but I think with infrastructure as code and, and integrations and, and APIs and, and the, the abundance of data, you know, you really do need to add those skills. Um, and as they say, you know, the, the second you stop, evolving is the second the market passes you by and that that is that is never more true than it is now because technology is evolving so rapidly and i think you know this movement to a generalist like you do need to have a very broad set of skills and and look you know you know look inside and say hey where you know where, where can i improve where you know where what more can i do to help myself be more effective and and help my company and, and do my job better yeah, right. And just just to kind of carry on with that, the obvious elephant in the room is COVID-19. Obviously, we're we're still in, in the pandemic and the trends that COVID-19 has brought upon us has, has it's only accelerated, I guess the digital transformation and and people working from home and things like that. From a a data protection and data ownership perspective, uh, what what have you seen out there as a result of, of COVID-19 and some of the trends? that it has kind of blew in the way of um, backup and recovery. Yeah, it, it certainly has, uh, you know, and, and when you think of this, there's not many moments you can look in the past and say that that reflect what we've gone through because, you know, when everyone was sent home in March, when basically the whole country locked down, now obviously the U.S. was slightly behind, you know, other parts of the world that, that where the infection reached, but when it reached the U.S. and, 
and we hit the lockdowns in March, it was literally almost overnight that that everything changed. And uh, you know, Dado, uh, you know, I'll give you some perspective. For, uh, you know, specifically from from our, our world. You know, we're we're a software company that delivers all of our software as a service through a channel of managed service providers, and those MSPs. You know, their world changed overnight in the sense that, you know, they're supporting a bunch of small and medium businesses and all of them went home right away. And a lot of you think of a lot of SMBs aren't, you know, not a lot of them are set up for remote work. Um, and the MSPs, you know, for the first four to six weeks, you know, come that time in March, they were running around with their hair on fire saying, you know, trying to support all of their customers, get them set up with VPNs and, and get, you know, have all the apps in, in the hands of, of users and, and everything there, you know, that was a major challenge. What does it do for data protection? I think we've seen a major movement to everything as a service. I mean, you look at, you know, if you look at Microsoft Office uh, O365 or now what they're calling M365, especially on the team side, you know, what, what do you need when, when you're all of your workers are remote? Uh, you need collaboration, productivity tools like Microsoft Teams has absolutely exploded. But what does that do? That that you know, you have so much data that's sitting there in Teams that was previously potentially unprotected, and so it's it's things like that that really change, and they change so fast that you know you, you needed to to turn on a dime to to move with where everything was going, and it was it wasn't necessarily in a lot of Technology trends happen because you know it's it, this momentum. This was an absolute need, and it happened almost overnight. And and you know, so we've seen a major shift to as a service productivity, uh, and and really you know looking to protect data that that is a blind spot potentially to a lot of organizations. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge one as well. And also, since many people are working from home, of course, we have the bad guys that are like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna see can we capitalize on, on on some of these work from home, you know, individuals and let's let's set up some more sophisticated phishing attacks, etc." Because I, I think I read, and, and I think it was your uh, Datto's annual state of the channel ransomware report where it, it, it mentioned that I think phishing is still like the number one way that uh, ransomware attacks actually happen is that someone still actually clicks on something within an email and voila, you know, the virus or whatever the bug is, you know, it, it infiltrates and it sits there, right, for six months, nine months, a year, maybe even longer, and it's just dormant capturing information on the back end and you know ransomware is definitely something that's a huge 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 thing that that it's not a matter of um, if it's going to happen it's when it's going to happen so what are you seeing uh, i guess from a from a ransomware perspective and you, do you want to mention anything about the the state of the channel ransomware report that that you guys re uh, put out yeah the, the, you're, you're right demetrius and and really you know ransomware is something we've been talking about for several years now um and, and is increasing more and more, but, you know, with COVID-19, with everyone moving home, you know, now you have all these sort of soft spots with, with everyone VPN into the corporate network, you know, some of your, your normal security measures, you know, have totally changed. Um, and I know even, you know, internally at data, we, you know, for, for the first couple of months, you know, it was, 
it was raced to get everything in place and, and really locked down in a way that we didn't before. You know, we had, you know, a large majority of our workforce was in an office. Um, and now we're hundred percent, you know, work, work from home. And, and we have been since March and, you know, that, that sort of changes a lot of things. And as you said, uh, and, and as we said in, in the state of the channel ransomware report, which is really just our MSPs providing their insights. So this is, you know, direct from the market insight is that, you know, ransomware is increasing. It's, it's even accelerated, you know, since, you know, COVID-19 and, and phishing is the way that they're, they're trying to do that. It's, it's, it's the easiest way in, you know, cause, cause really, I mean, if you think of, you know, Hey, try, try to break in from the outside hackers trying to, you know, do cross-site scripting or, or some other, some other way to break in. Uh, but what's the easiest way is to, is to break in from the inside. And if you, you know, click on an email or click on a link in an email and that, you know, that system, that, that PC or whatever that you clicked on that link from is on the inside of your network. Well, guess what? You've, the, the hardest part is that you've now broken in and you're on the inside, as you say, some of that sits dormant, some of it, you know, acts right away. And, you know, so you, you can, you can identify it at some point, but the question is where else did it leave breadcrumbs? Where else is it, is it sort of sitting and it needs to be, you know, uh, cleaned from your from your environment right yeah yeah and i think i read somewhere that a, a ransomware attack happens every 14 seconds which just blew my mind you know ransomware does have life critical uh, and life-threatening uh cases sometimes and it, it's something that i, I don't think it's going to get uh better i think it's going to continue to get worse but you know eventually we'll have to get get smarter around recovering a lot quicker you know, when we do recognize and, and continuing to educate those, you know, within within uh, corporate environments to, you know, boost up the training, continue to inform and, and just make sure everyone is um, is doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I think, you know, you, I, I didn't see that specific report, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I watched 60 Minutes regularly and they did uh, something maybe six months ago on a hospital system. And I want to say it was Alabama. Uh, it was like a, a hospital system, five or six hospitals. And it took down their entire system. They couldn't check patients in. They could, you know, so it, it, it is absolutely impactful. As you say, you know, there, there's really a couple things. Number one, it's, you know, try to, you know, it's raised the visibility of, of, ha of protecting your data. And so, you know, in, in the worst case, you know, if you do get ransomed, um, you need to be able to recover from that and recover quickly. Uh, nobody wants to pay the ransom, but let's face it. Why does the, why is ransomware still a thing? Because because people are you know people are paying it. If nobody paid it, ransomware wouldn't exist. Um, you know, and, and they've, they, they've they've gotten smart. They've figured out. You know, they've they're going after smaller targets. They're not going after the Morgan Stanleys and the Citibanks of the world because they have the, the best and, and, and greatest you know resources to throw at, at sort of locking these things down. They're going after soft targets, small hospital systems. They're going after state and local governments who maybe don't have huge IT budgets. They're, you're going after small, medium businesses because they know that they're probably not well protected. And, and yeah, they, they're, they're not getting the, you know, million dollar ransoms, but they're getting tens of thousands of dollars in, in bundles. And, and really it's, it speaks to really needing to be protected across the board and to end everyone needs to be protected. So it's not only you know, have, you know, being protected in case you get hit, but also trying to prevent that. And, you know, again, 
you know, the, the, the easiest way in, you talked about training users. That is a huge, huge priority is that, you know, it, it only takes one person. So, you know, it takes one person clicking one link. And, and when you think of that, that's a pretty scary uh, proposition. Yeah. So what about disaster recovery in the cloud? So what if what if you have your entire, you know, infrastructure ready to 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 stand up in the cloud? You know, in case you have you know issues such as ransomware or anything else that may happen, from a DR in the cloud perspective, uh, what what do you see uh, from that perspective around you know lever- leveraging and running workloads in the cloud? I think you know as as public cloud has evolved and and people have have started to organizations have started to realize, hey, where where do I leverage? Public cloud, you know, is it is it Gartner? Whoever has the hype cycle, right? This is, you know, let's do everything in the cloud, and then it sort of ramps down, and then eventually, you know, water finds its its level. And I think people are realizing that, you know, while public cloud is expensive, um, and and you could do things cheaper, you know, on prem, there there's actually, you know, with with platform as a service and lots of things, is there's ways to to make that more cost effective from a from a, you know from a non tangible you know, resource perspective. And, and, you know, that's been, that's been a, a pretty major change uh, over the, the past few years, but I think customers and organizations have gotten smart about, Hey, let, let's not have that second DR data center. You know, that's it's a physical data center. If, you know, if we have, you know, some sort of service impacting issue, let's DR to the cloud. You know, we're not paying for, you know, you may have to replicate your, your data and, and have, you know, use storage up there, but you're not paying for, you know, VM instances or containers or anything if they're not running. And so, you know, that, and, and that does come, come down to, hey, what, what are my, what are my RTOs? And you have to work back from that to say, you know, hey, are my RTOs, is it eight hours, is it 24 hours, is it 48 hours, but, and, 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 and it probably changes by workload. Uh, but I think a lot of organizations have gotten smart in terms of, you know, hey, I'm going to make the cloud my DR data center. Lots of products out there, even you know, data. We have our own. We have our own cloud, and we actually allow customers to to run you know a sandbox environment in in our cloud. Um, that's included with their service. And I think there's lots of stories about that, about sort of direct recovery into the cloud. That and then to maybe tack onto that as well, you know, the evolution of 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 cold storage in the cloud. Because I think when you look at you know, for, whether it's for regulatory compliance reasons, you know, data has to stay around for a long, long time. And that that data is, if ever, very rarely accessed. And and why keep that data on hot storage? You know, you're, you're you pay a lot of money to keep that that data that you'll you'll probably never access. And even if you do have to access it, you know, do you need that immediately at your fingertips, or can you wait twelve hours or twenty four hours to get it? You know the whole Glacier Deep Archive, Google Google Cold Line, Azure Archive, like those are incredibly effective in, in leveraging public cloud for for things like that. So that's really starts to get into a hybrid scenario. Is hey, I'll do some stuff on prem, and that'll leverage the public cloud. You know where where it makes sense for me, and 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 where I can take advantage of it. You know, I, I don't hear as much about the different media types as I used to. Like tape used to be the big thing. And uh, there was, you know, numerous campaigns to, you know, kill tape and knock tape out. But <laughs> it, it's still a thing that's that's going strong today. And uh, if if you talk to Quantum, that's where Quantum is doubling down 
um, you know, 100 year archive. And, you know, they, they have some pretty cool technology out there now that, that I think that they figured it out. And uh, I think they, they have a nice approach to, you know, what's going on from that perspective. Um, but just all the different types of approaches around, you know, hybrid approaches and, you know, where to store it, you know, hot, cold, warm, uh, deep archive, Glacier and Azure and Google Code Line, et cetera. What, what are you seeing on an object storage uh, side of the house? Are you, are you seeing uh, more play on the object storage side or is it about the same that you're seeing across some of the other media types as well? Yeah, object storage seems to, to really be evolving and becoming more and more popular because, because of its cost effectiveness. And I think you know, a lot of this obviously has to do with, with S3. You know, AWS S3 originally, and you know, lots of you know, I we, we talked about you know APIs a little bit at the, at the top here. You know, when you think of S3, you know, Amazon has not published an S3 spec, but the industry has sort of adopted it as a de facto object storage API, and I think the that that has really changed things a lot because when you have a standards based API. Um, and, and everyone sort of builds to that API, you, you know, you can go and get any, you know, think of any object storage platform that's out there from any of the big, you know, the big storage players or, or even some of the other ones, um, you know, Cloudia and Swiftstack and others. Get, what do they all have in common? They all have an S3 API. And so when you when you have commonality like that and, and backup vendors uh, can all build to that API, you know, that gives freedom of choice and, and selection into the customer and, and really helps lift the market. You know, it's the, the old saying of, you know, a rising tide floats all boats. I think that's a very clear example of, hey, standardizing around this API, whether whether Amazon likes it or not, people have standardized on their S3 API. It has helped the, the, the object storage industry overall. And, you know, there's, there's different capabilities of, of these different systems and, you know, you can you know, tweak and tune them as you see fit. Behind a lot of them are, are regular storage arrays with a, you know, with an object-based, um, you know, protocol adapter on, on the top. I think it's been very effective and, and, and it really speaks to a data protection workload. I think, you know, when, when you're talking about regular block storage and, and applications, I think that, you know, ap applications that, you know, for example, a database application that needs, you know, fast access and, and quick response. But when you think of, like data protection, what are you doing? You're streaming a lot of data that is extremely heavy write load, very light read load. I mean, you you protect all your data every version and every every night. You you know you're, you're and, and even you know continually you're taking copies of data. Very rarely do you recover. It's you know the, the, the industry sort of is around anywhere from half a percent to maybe upwards of three to five percent, but it's it's a it's a small minority of the data you write, and that leans towards you know, object storage, I think, is a really good fit there because because of how it's how it's optimized and tuned. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm also curious, Ken. What 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 do you see for 2021? Like, do you see more of the same things that that we've done in 2020 as a result of the pandemic, or do you actually see the IT industry, especially on the data protection and you know backup and storage side, do you see the industry actually getting smarter? And actually expanding on, on some of the, the broader technologies that are out there, maybe like from artificial intelligence or machine learning. What, what do you see? For yeah, I think, you know, when I, when I think of sort of, you know, looking forward in data protection, whether it's 2021 or, or years forward, you, you, you a little bit look to the past to 
predict the future and, and really what has been going on uh, and, and has been evolving is this whole notion of automation. You know, at, at the top, we talked a little bit about software engineering and, you know, I'm, I'm an engineering guy and, and, and really I'm a huge advocate of, of automation, uh, you know, DevOps and SRE style delivery of, of software. And, and when you when you sort of layer that on top of data protection, what does that mean? That means, you know, building into your applications, building into your services. And if you look at, you know, AWS and Azure, you know, they have, they have their own backup solutions. And, and some of this is that you have to integrate with those in order to protect, you know, platform as a service. If I'm running an Aurora database, for example, in AWS, like the only way to get application consistency out of that is to integrate with AWS backup, like, cause you don't have access to the back end there. So I think, you know, looking at sort of built-in data protection, built-in automation, when I, when I think of software engineering, I think of, hey, self-healing applications, and especially as you run as a service and a large service at scale, everything has to be automated. You have to have the right monitoring and learning and trending and, and understand when things are wrong. You know, you know, bring that to data protection is, hey, you know, I don't want to have to be an expert and, and have you know, all these individual policies for, for every, every little thing. Like I, I want something to be intelligent. You say with AI, like, you know, un understand what my policies are and adapt those policies, you know, to, you know, almost think of a Nest thermostat. What is, what does Nest do? Nest looks at, at, Hey, how, how do you set your thermostat? And they start to predict and, and understand and do it automatically. I think we can take that to data protection and start to, you know, look at, at trends and, and, and do machine learning to understand, hey, you know, you protect these other applications in this way, let me start doing that here as well. You can always override it, but I think having something built in and default that is intelligent uh, and that can adapt over time, that's where I think things are going. And that, you know, that leads more, you know, we talked about the whole sort of generalist versus specialist, like, you know, really, really sort of, you know, automating and taking some of the things that, that maybe backup admins would have done manually years ago. And now, you know, those things are, are now automated. That's that's the beauty of, of technology and automation is now, you know, those people can start working on other things. And I think that's where data protection is going in general is, is more automation and AI of, of protecting workloads, protecting applications. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool stuff in the artificial intelligence side of the house. And, you know, th there was a LinkedIn study about, you know, what are some of the fastest growing positions that are out there and data scientists, you know, was one of them. So moving more from accumulating data, you know, like someone who's a backup and storage administrator, backup and recovery administrator, just collecting data, but actually not only collecting the data, but also being able to analyze the data and uh, provide insights to the business with that data. And, you know, have a, and, and have a seat at the table with that insight to help the business make more informed decisions, right? And then you, you, you plug more directly into, you know, the revenue generating side of the house, which is where all the value is nowadays, because it's just not enough to protect it. You, you have to really provide some other things, you know, right along with that. Ken, I, I want to roll into the, the closing gumbo question. 
And that question, it's, it's not a technical one, but it's, it's just one, you know, to tap your brain and get some advice from you. And that question is, what advice would you give to, let's say, a backup and storage administrator that's out of work right now, you know, especially due to the pandemic? What, what advice would you give them? Yeah, so, and, and certainly, you know, the unfortunate case is that we do have a lot of people that are out of work, uh, you know, as a result of the pandemic. It's, it's been... Um, it's been, it's been incredibly impactful and, 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 you know, not balanced in certain industries. But, you know, the advice that I would give, you know, maybe going back to a point we talked about earlier, you know, and, and we just actually just touched on it as well of, of moving from a specialist to a generalist is, and, and where the world is moving to infrastructure as code and uh, et cetera is, you know, start, you know, keep learning. Like even, even if you are in, you know, not out of work, you should continue to, to always evolve and continue to learn and keep up with, with trends. Like this whole notion of, you know, Ansible and SaltStack, these config and orchestration utilities, like, you know, when, when you know, I've had people that, um, that have asked me these questions, like, Hey, what, what should I go learn? You know, people that might be, you know, maybe they were manual QA testers or things like that. Like, Hey, look, look where the industry's going and learn something new. Take a, you know, go, go to Udemy, do LinkedIn learning, do, you know, go look at, you know, things there, but, but, but do it hands on. Like a lot of, a lot of these tools that I just mentioned, Ansible and SaltStack is, is just two of them. You didn't mention Puppet. You know, they're open source. I didn't mention <laughs> Puppet. Yeah, Puppet as well. The, the, these, and it's, it's, it's very true. Like these are, these are open source tools. You don't need to go buy a license. It costs you nothing to go right. learn this. And if you're if you're a Windows guy, go learn PowerShell if you don't know it. If you're a mm-hmm. you know if you're a Linux person, go you know go learn Bash, go learn Python, go learn you know because because those skills, no matter what you do, you will be able to leverage. Even if you go back into a backup and storage admin role, you will be better for having those skills. You will you will be much more marketable. And, and you'll be able to do more. So that would be, you know, just the, the high level there is, is keep learning, but, but just, you know, uh, you know, learn, learn, you know, where, where it's going and, and, and just, you know, enhance those skills and, and, and don't stop, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't, you know, certainly don't, don't lose hope uh, that, you know, we will get out of this and, yeah. uh, but, but you want to be best prepared when, when, when we do get out of this to, to land you know, land a job and maybe land a job that is even better than the one that you lost. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love everything you said. And, and one, one thing that people, people are forgetting right now is that while, while the pandemic and COVID-19 is, is, is sort of a distraction, but there's a lot of people taking advantage of it and basically quarantining themselves to learn new skills. And th- this is the time to actually go and, you know, and, enroll in an online class or take that AWS training and get certified in AWS. And, you know, there's a lot of, lot of smart individuals out there right now. Now is the time to capitalize on, on what's happening so that once the, the smoke lifts, um, you, you can take that, that, uh, that one foot forward and, and, and have a couple more feathers in your hat, you know, from a skills perspective. So, Ken, it's definitely been a pleasure uh, having you on the gumbo. Uh, I am much smarter walking away from the conversation with you, especially with that that engineering hat that that you have on. You know, which is is a great perspective to to have nowadays uh, to be on the engineering side and to 
kind of implement those agile met- methodologies, etc., and um, you know, codify ways of doing things. So, thank you so much for appearing on the Gumbo, and until next time, Ken. Yeah, thank you, Demetrius. I, I, it was tr- truly a pleasure and honor to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.